questions, and uh, we've been reminded of this over and over again this week. Uh, uh, I went to uh, Kentucky this last week to see my sister, my older sister, who had had a stroke back in January, and then in July she fell and broke her hip, and so I went to see her at her son's house in Kentucky, and she's doing well, but uh, getting there and getting back is a pain these days because you know, all the protocols you got to go through at the airport and with airplanes and and the people in airports and those type of things you have to go through. I get home and then uh, I've got two of my clients I represent. You know, you all know these cooperatives that serve rural areas. I've got one of my co-op managers who got COVID and stayed home for several days and got headaches and some sweats and everything, but he, he's fine. He never got really any worse than that. Said he didn't even lose his his taste or smell. I've got another one that's still in the hospital, both of them within a, a few miles of Lubbock. The other one is in the hospital in very bad shape, uh, and he's younger uh, than the, the first one was, and so it's kind of hard to figure out uh, who and how this thing hits. You don't know. You know, it, it hits the young and old alike, and it's, it's, as Brother Kenny said, it's created some problems uh, in the world. It's created some problems, tension in our, even in churches. I visited Brother Stephen Bloyd this week, and he was updating me and saying there's some churches up in that area where it has really created internal splits and uh, had a, said to me a story of another church, not a, a different different denomination, but two of the members got in a fight in the parking lot over wearing a mask. So, you know, uh, we've, we've uh, both, you know, we have situations where both sides have problems and, and they get where they're putting those, everything's of the world ahead of of uh, Christ in the church. We're supposed to be here for Christ. That should be our primary purpose here. And uh, so we should always look to him and we need to ask the Lord sometimes to help us in our belief and our unbelief, especially our unbeliefs and just a problem time. And, and this is the work of Satan using things of the world against us. You know, we've been told not to let the uh, leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees be able to beware of the leaven. And that's what that is when we allow politics to get in among us. We were to love each other and love the Lord, and that should be our first focus. If that's our focus, everything else will fall in place. Brother Kenny and I had a real good conversation on some of these things this morning, as he mentioned, and I appreciate him and having the ability to visit with him on these things. I have a subject on my mind this morning. It's just a couple of verses out of the book of Matthew, chapter 27, when Christ was on the cross. You know, it's, it's not Easter yet, but that's when we usually preach Christ on the cross, and then all four Gospels have uh, a version, a, a version of the writer's version. All of them are true. There's not alternate facts. They just saw it from different angles, and so we, everybody has a different uh, things that happen, and uh, the part of him hanging on the cross is probably maybe a little better over in Luke or Mark or somewhere like this, but this has a particular uh, verse in here that the other scriptures, the other Gospels don't. Beginning at verse 50, Christ, I'm skipping a lot of the good stuff, you all know, when he's hanging on the cross, how he got on the cross and trial before Pilate. We get over here to verse 50. Verse 50 is right when everything is done and Jesus is about to die on the cross. Verse 50 says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost. <clears throat> That's when he died uh, on the cross. And the rest of them will go on and start telling you about the other stuff, but this one... The next two verses, three verses, have created a little bit of a controversial, I guess I'll say, among people. They don't know how to take it and don't know how to interpret it. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. 
the temple, over in the main temple. Now, this is out at Golgothia, the hill outside of Jerusalem where he's being hung. The temple, of course, is downtown, in the middle of old downtown Jerusalem. And it had, you know, when the tabernacle was first created and then the temple built to replace the tabernacle, they had the big room, the big main room of the temple, the tabernacle, courtyard, I believe they called it, in the tabernacle. And then it had curtained-off areas, two rooms, one inside the other. And those were called the most, the holy room and the most holy room. And between the, the divider between the holy room and the most holy room was a curtain, big, heavy curtain. You can read it in the back of the Old Testament, Leviticus, I believe, where it tells you how that was made. People have speculated it was made with many layers of fine cloths and linens and stuff. It was about a foot thick. The curtain was a foot thick, and probably, based on its what called cubits high, it was probably about 20 to 30 feet tall. It was a huge curtain probably, I guess, tall as this room, that divided the two rooms. And then, of course, behind that curtain was where they put the Ark of the Covenant, the uh, uh, prayer uh, al prayer altar. Uh, the can candelabras had some certain things in there, but primarily the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where the high priest would go in only once a year, and the high priest is the only one who could go in there, and he would spread the blood of the sacrifice on the altar, on top on the altar of the covenant, Ark of the Covenant, which the top of it was called the mercy seat. That's where we get, we spread the blood on the mercy seat. That's what that was for. And so nobody went behind that curtain except the high priest. Nobody was allowed to go behind that curtain. Well, when Christ died on the cross, gave up the ghost, and again, this is only in the book of Matthew, behold, the veil of the temple was rent, torn, torn in two from the top to the bottom. You know, if man were to go in, tear the thing, we'd have to start at the bottom and work our way up to the top. This was torn from the top to the bottom. A torn curtain was torn open, which means, and symbolically, it is now available for us, not just the high priest, but we are now the high priest would go in, and that's where God would come down from heaven and appear above the mercy seat. And the high priest would actually get to witness that in the, the, the it's not smoke really, it's like a fog. It's dark, but it's not, doesn't choke you like a, a smoke would. But he, that's what God would say, I will come down. And the, and the high priest knew God was there, probably couldn't see him face to face, but he knew he was there. And the high priest only got to have that personal knowledge of the Lord and perhaps even hear him speak in, behind that curtain. Now, with Christ dying, that curtain's been ripped apart. It's been taken down. What that means symbolically is now all of us have access directly to the mercy seat. Because we know the temple now we don't have to go to the temple. The temple's now inside you. And that curtain that separated us directly from God has been ripped and torn open, and we have access because of the work of Christ. Through Christ, we now, if you want to go to God, all you got to do, he's right there. You can go directly to him. So that's one of the things that happened here. That's what that symbolical means, the veil of the temple, the law that says nobody can go behind that curtain except the high priest. Now that's torn in two, and we have access from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. That meant the rocks broke open. We had an earthquake and a lot of rocks broke open. And then it's the next two verses. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. A lot of graves were opened and many, not all, but many of the bodies of the saints. That means that tells you those were children of God. People that, that uh, graves were opened that day were, were children of God. People, some of the elect that were on the way to heaven. It said, verse 53, and they came out of their graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. 
And they came out of the graves after his resurrection. Now, when after his resurrection, and in here it talks about uh, at the time he died, the earth did quake and the rocks broke open and the graves were opened and many bodies of saints, people that were elect that were bound to go to heaven, came out. They slept, they slept, arose, and they came out of their graves after his resurrection. And he went to the holy city and appeared unto many. Talk about this timeline a little bit here about what's going on. Number one, who were these people and what did this mean? You know, everything in the Bible means something. It doesn't tell you what this means here. Why, why did this occur? What importance does this have? Does it mean anything to us today? The fact that these people came out of the graves that day and says it went into the holy city. Now, you read some of the other versions of the Bible, versions I'll call them. Of course, the King James is actually translation directly from the original Hebrew and Greek. So it's a direct translation. So this is, this is the direct word-for-word -word translation the King James provides. Other people will say they came out and went into Jerusalem. It doesn't say Jerusalem. And many people call Jerusalem the holy city because that was the seat of, of the uh, religion at the time with the temple and the uh, Ark of the Covenant being there, and that's where all the kings resided, and that was kind of the center of the religious of the Jews, but it says they went into the holy city. The holy city, in my opinion, it's not talking about Jerusalem, it's talking about holy Jerusalem, it's talking about heaven. People came out of the graves that day and went to heaven, but they didn't go to it, come out until after his resurrection. Let's get a timeline going here. We, we're going to try to figure out today who this is, what was taking place here, what does it mean, who it was, what does that mean to us? You know, and everything in here has meaning. And this is one of those things that people look at and they go, oh, I don't understand what that means, really. And they go on, assume it's true, and it is. <clears throat> but let's talk about the timing of this first. We know that that uh, a couple of days earlier, a day earlier, they had the Passover. Uh, that's back at uh, Matthew 22 and then over in Mark 14. sets up. This has started this off with Passover. That's when they had the Last Supper. The Supper of Passover, then they had the unleavened bread. Uh, <clears throat> Matthew 22 tells you that just took place just the day before this. And remember, he was on the cross, and they had to get him off the cross because the holiday of Passover started at 6 p.m. that day. So you see that uh, that's what was taking place, and, and they would he would have died before sundown, roughly 6 o'clock, and they took him off, and the next rest of that chapter talks about the burial of him by uh, Arimatheus and to even buried him in his own tomb. And then going to chapter 28, it says, in the end of the Sabbath, so we're here, <clears throat> we've had Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And it says the Sabbath was then the Saturday. That's the end of the week. Be the Saturday. And if you look over here at chapter 28, it said, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. So we've had the Passover, the Unleavened Bread, and Christ died then, was put in the tomb before the actual holiday started. And then that Saturday, it says, uh, <clears throat> the first, at the end of the Sabbath, at the end of the day Saturday, which would be about 6 p.m., then Christ rose the first day of the week, be on a Sunday. Christ rose up on Sunday. It's important we understand that time frame before we go, go any further uh, in, in talking and proving what's actually taking place here. So the first, first day of the week after the Sabbath, after the Passover, that's when we see Christ coming out of the tomb, and we call that Easter, Resurrection Day. It's when that's taking place, and I believe that you will find out because that day when he arose on that Monday, excuse me, that Sunday after Sabbath, 
When he arose, that's when these people came out of the graves and went to the holy city. It says, after the resurrection is when they came out of the graves and went into the holy city, which I believe is heaven. We had some people come out of graves and went to heaven that day, the day he arose. What does that mean? What does that mean for us? Well, like many things, everything is a circle back from the Old Testament. Before I go to the Old Testament real quick, I want to go to Matthew chapter 5. When Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount, verse 17, he says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law. A lot of the Jewish people, especially the priests, thought that, you know, hey, you're coming and destroying everything we've been doing. And it's true, he was destroying a lot of their traditions. They had made up a lot of traditions that didn't necessarily comply with what the law was. So he was, he was there to, uh, he says, I didn't come to destroy the law, and that's not what I'm doing. He said, I didn't destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Christ made sure that all the old law was fulfilled while he was here. He says, for verily I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. You know, what we say today is, you know, every I'll be dotted and every T will be crossed. Christ says, I'll take care of every bit of the old law. We don't, we're not under the old law. You know, all those things he had to do to righteousness on the old law. He had to make sacrifices. He had to go to the priest and all those worship services he had to do and all those old laws of the Old Testament. He said, I'll take care of every one of those old laws. I will fulfill all the law in its entirety. <clears throat> the time when, he's finished, when he's finished doing his job, he will do it all. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, and you don't have to go there. I'm going to summarize it really so we can talk about this. Back in Exodus chapter 12... That's when most of the law started. It was when people were captive in slavery to Egypt. And uh, through Moses, the Lord led them, led them out of that slavery. But what he did is he, that's when he started the Passover. He would put the plagues, trying to get the Pharaoh to let the people go. Moses kept, in, as the Lord directed him, putting these plagues on Egypt, the balls and the lies and uh, lice and uh, all the, uh, the grasshoppers and the, turning the uh, water to blood. He turned the, the river Nile into blood. He had all these plagues, and it didn't, none of them worked on Pharaoh until he came up to the tenth one. He said, now what we're going to do is we're going to kill the firstborn of every man and every beast. And he says, but what I want you to do is take the, a lamb, a lamb of unblemished lamb without, and of course this is the symbol of Christ. This is what he does for us. Take a, a, a lamb with pure and unblemished, clean, and take it and sacrifice it, kill it, take the blood of the lamb, mark it on the doorpost of your house, when you eat that uh, supper that night, the Passover supper, and then fe the Feast of the Unleavened Bread begins, when you do that, if you'll mark the door, then I will pass over those houses. When I pass through the land of Egypt, I'm going to take the life of every firstborn of every man and every beast, every cow, every sheep, every goat, every family took the firstborn out of those families, took their lives, unless he saw the blood on the doorpost. And he passed over, and that's where we get the word Passover. That's why our Jews still celebrate today. Of course, Christ is our Passover. He left his blood on the cross, and as a result of that, we're marked with that blood now, symbolically. And, of course, when it comes to us, we're all sinners. We don't, none of us can stand before God and be justified. Christ has done that, and he passes over us when he starts doing judgment because Christ marked us with his blood. That's what's taking place in Exodus chapter 12, and it's talking about it. And the Lord says now to the Jewish people, I want you to observe this. Keep this as a memorial every year. Keep this Passover every year. You've got to do the same thing, you know, and you've got to 
to have the feast of the unleavened bread. He, he outlines and talks about, uh, he takes the firstborn of Egypt, whether it's man or beast, took the firstborn across the board of everybody. And he, from that time forward, he started dedicating the things that are first. Folks, to over here at Exodus chapter 22 and 29, he said, when you go into the new land, thou shalt not delay to offer the first of thy ripe fruits. We're to offer the first things to the Lord. We, we see that repeated in the, in the New Testament about we're to set aside our, our resources on the first day of the week to give the Lord. We're to seek him first in his righteousness. <clears throat> and he'll bless us for doing that. Verse 29 of Exodus 22, he says, Thou shalt not delay, don't put this off, but to offer the first of thy ripe fruits of the liquors of the firstborn of the sons thou shalt give to me. Likewise, thou shalt do with thine oxen, with thine sheep, and seven days shall it be with thee in his days on the earth. Anyway, you give, you give the firstborn to the Lord. We're to give our first efforts to the Lord. We ought to worship him first. That's what he's, he started with this, and this has never changed. He had to do it physically then. We need to do it spiritually with our resources too, but we should do it spiritually. We should put him first. Put him first. And he'll bless then the other things we do. Over here in Leviticus chapter 23, though, is where then he spells it out in some great detail. He said, there's seven feasts. This is the law. There's seven feasts that I want you to observe. <clears throat> You're going to have the uh, uh, Passover feast, the feast of the unleavened bread, uh, the first fruits. You're going to have Pentecost. You're going to have the atonement, uh, the feast of trumpets, and the feast of the tabernacle. That was the, other than the Ten Commandments, those were the really strong laws you had to follow. And that's what Christ says, I'm going to take care of all those laws before I die. So he's taking care of all these laws. He was our Passover. The unleavened bread we worship today when we have communion because that represents his pure body that he gave us the benefit for. And we, worship, we drink the blood because that represents him and what he said on the cross. But he said, and now the third feast is called the Feast of First Fruits. Verse 10 of Leviticus 23 says, When ye come into the land, when you come into the holy land, which I shall give unto you, you shall reap the harvest thereof. Then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morning after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. The first two deals were, remember, Passover and unleavened bread. That started, they had those first. And then on the morrow after the first coming Sabbath, and he repeats this again on verse 15. And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave of the, of the, the offering. And he goes on, now you go seven Sabbaths, and that's how you get to Pentecost. He tells how you get to the next feast. But the feast of first fruits was offered on the morning after the first Sabbath, after the Passover. When is that? That's Easter. It's Resurrection Day. That's when you offer the first fruits. And he tells, this is what you had to do. You had to go out. I mean, his Brother Kenny's our farmer here. When he had to farm, if he wanted, you know, back in those days under the old law, you had to go out and you had to take a handful of, let's say, grain sorghum. He had to go out and get a sheaf, a handful of grain sorghum, and he carried it into the priest. And the priest made this offering. It had to be go through the priest. The priest would make the offering, and he would wave it before the Lord. And if the Lord accepted it, I, you know, if the Lord said, thank you for bringing in to me the first of your crop, if he accepted it, then... He would bless the entire crop. That's how you got your entire field blessed. But you first took the first and the best to the Lord. Ask him to bless it. And when it's blessed then, he said, when he accepted it, he said, now I'm going to bless your entire crop. You know, today we have, you know, when, for a while there, my, we had a dog, a golden retriever that 
uh, we bred and had puppies too, and the person we bred it to, he didn't want to be paid, but he says, I want the pick of the litter, the first. He wants the, the first one, the pick of the litter. We, that's how we get these things. Any of you have seen the show Lion King? The movie Lion King, when the, I believe Simba is born, and they take the, the, the father lion takes Simba and holds it up to the Lord. That's where all this stuff got started, where we, we offer the first to the Lord, offer the best to the Lord for his blessing. That's what it's all about. And we have all sorts of, of routines and traditions we do today based on offering the first to the Lord. Go to him first. And that's where all these things got started. But that's a, a great example. Next time you watch The Lion King, you know that's biblical. When they take it and they hold that line up in there, they, you know, everybody says, well, they're showing it to everybody. No, that's not. That's symbolically an offering to the Lord. That's what's taking place there. Anyway, he says you do this on the day after the Sabbath, right after the Passover. Well, we know that today is Easter, Easter Sunday, and that's how you do If you go over here in uh, Nehemiah chapter 10, I believe it's verse 15, Nehemiah tells us that you're still supposed to follow that first fruits. You not only, you only offer the first of, of uh, yourselves and everything else, but it's first of everything, first of your crops, your trees, your fruit, uh, <clears throat> your children, your cattle, your, your herds, your dough, your wine, your oil. You've got a whole list of things. That's where we always get to deal about the firstborn son is, has special meaning in the family. Uh, the firstborn of everything has special meaning, like it's talked about the pick of the litter. But that's a, that first fruit offerings was important in order to, you had to offer it first to the Lord. And if you took it to him first, then he would bless the rest of your crop. That was the importance of it. Because he would, he would bless everything else. If you, took, if you looked to him first and answered to him first, offered to him first, he wants us to look to him first with everything we do. Sometimes it's hard uh, when we get ready to come to church about how are we doing uh, you know, the Bible is full of stories about people who didn't have any money, didn't have anything to offer, but the Lord says, you take what you've got first and offer it to him. And every time he's done that, it was blessed. The, the curse of all of the, of the woman that, well, I've forgotten now, Elijah, or Elijah uh, blessed. And she said, well, I don't have enough for me and my son. He said, go ahead and do it. And she did it, and after that, that curse of all never emptied. <clears throat> the Lord blessed it as we take it and think of him first. The widow who gave all she had, of the, her first, the Lord, she was blessing. Every time we do that, we've talked many times about you can't outgive the Lord. I'm not here preaching on money today. I'm talking about your lifestyle too. Everything you do in the Lord, we ought to start symbolically, or we ought to start thinking of Him early in the morning. And, and I'm preaching to myself here. Sometimes I get away and, and don't think about it. But we could, we should seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and then the Lord will take care of everything else of our needs. If we start off our mornings doing that, dedicate some time to think about him every morning. It tells us that this is a first fruits offering, the fruits of everything we have, all our resources, not only our time and our energy and our strength and our wisdom, but our natural resources too. We ought to offer those to the Lord. We do that through the church. We do that through uh, charities. We do that through all sorts of things and helping other people. We've got two commandments today. We talked about all those old testaments. We've got two commandments. Love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Go to him first. And second, we <clears throat> love thy neighbors ourselves. We should, that's, that's where all of our time and resources should go when we can. And the Lord says, you do that, put those first, and he'll give us a great blessing then. He'll bless the other things that we do. You know, the problem is, I don't do it. I don't do it. When I do do it, then I realize, you know, it's amazing how things happen. I, I've, I've spoken on this before about, you know, I'm, I'm an attorney, and I... 
think about it, wake up in the morning thinking about all the stuff I've got to do today, and I've got to, I'm dreading today because I've got to go down and have some argument with some other lawyer. We're going to argue over something all day long. You know, and so I don't have time to stop and read my Bible. I don't have time to pray. I've got to get down and get started on this. And, you know, I'm very prophetic because when I do that, you know, I argue with somebody all day long. I can't get this contract worked out like I'm supposed to. I can't do the things I need to do. But when I wake up in the morning and say, no, stop, read a couple of Bible verses, contemplate on them, and think about them, who the Lord are. You know, when I go in, it's amazing. The lawyer, the lawyer will agree with me a lot easier than I thought. The words seem to flow better when I have to write a complex contract. It's amazing how the Lord clear your mind and clear your heart and clear the other people's heart that you have to deal with, especially you might call your adversaries or your enemies. And you should pray for them. Pray, the Lord, that I, we can do, what's, do the right thing for the people involved here. That's the first fruits. And that's the, the story. You know, Hannah, when Hannah came, First uh, Samuel, Hannah was barren, couldn't have children. She was made a fun of by the other other women in the in the neighborhood in the community and she couldn't and she go to the Lord and she prayed the Lord continue Lord you know I'm I'm ridiculed whatever I, I want to have a child can you bless me with a son and if you do I'll dedicate him to you I will give him to you Lord and sure enough then the Lord blessed her she had that child turned out to be the prophet Samuel and and she took him down after she had nursed him and weaned him she took him out at a young boy and dedicated him to the Lord Samuel became one of the greatest prophets ever Hannah, the Lord then blessed her with five more children. <clears throat> the Lord says, you know, you, you think of me first. Dedicate the first fruits to him, and then he will take care of the rest of it. Over here in Corinthians now, with that, that in mind, we're talking about the first fruits and the waving of the first fruits, the offering of the first fruits by the priest. That took place on the day after the Sabbath, after the Passover. Well, today's world, that's Easter. That's Resurrection Day. That's when the first fruit offerings was made. So you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 20, 15, verse 20. The Lord then starts explaining to us what's going on here. He, he's talking in 15th chapter about the resurrection of Christ. And he goes us through and about what the resurrection, how it's important to us. And he goes through in verse 20, he says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of them that slept. Christ was the first fruit, became the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. Christ makes offering of the firstfruits. The Lord accepts that. And then everybody that are Christ are accepted. All of his entire crop are accepted. Let's go back now to Matthew Chapter 27, let's look at this again. Matthew chapter 27, Christ died on the cross, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent, the curtain was torn in half, the earth did quake, and the graves were opened, and many bodies came out of the, of the saints, which slept, arose. <coughs> Excuse me. When Christ died, he had already filled the Passover. He died on the cross. He's the unleavened bread. He's the the uh, purity of the unleavened bread that doesn't have any leaven in it, no sin in it. He died on the cross for our benefit. The Passover's been fulfilled and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread's fulfilled. Next is the Feast of the First Fruits. He's got to fill those two. We know he fulfilled on the Pentecost. We go into Acts 2. That's when the Pentecost came. That's when the Holy Ghost came. And you go on and when it talks about the Feast of the Atonement, 
Now, that's where Christ has died, and when it comes time for us to go to heaven, he's dying. He's our sacrifice. The Lord passes over us because of him. He's atoning for our sins. We don't have to. You have the Feast of the Trumpets, going to 1 Corinthians 15 and uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, I believe, where it says, The trump of God shall sound, and the Lord shall speak with a shout, and we'll all come out of the graves that day. That's what it's celebrating. That's the trump we're talking about, the last trump. That's the trump of the uh, prophet Gabriel. That's where we get that. It doesn't mention that there, but Gabriel was the messenger. So when Gabriel comes and blows his horn, now they're having some difficulty with that song down at University of Texas right now. But it ends, you know, in the eyes of Texas are upon you until Gabriel blows his horn. That's referring to the horn, the trumpet that will be blown that we'll all hear. I mentioned last time, at that time we'll all hear every knee will bow, every voice shall uh, acknowledge the Lord, and everybody will see his glory all at one time. That's when the trumpet comes. And then the Feast of the Tabernacles is left. Our tabernacles, you know, as Apostle Peter over there in Second Peter, I believe, talks about, I'm going to put off this tabernacle. Your body is now your tabernacle. It's now the temple, as we said. Your body's the temple. It's a tabernacle. You're going to get a new tabernacle. You're going to get a new body when that comes, and Christ will fulfill that. When he goes into heaven and says, you know, my, my Father's gone and prepared for you uh, many mansions. He's going ahead and prepared for you many mansions. Those many mansions are, you know, you've got a house, a tabernacle now. You're not going to have a little lean-to shack. You're going to have a mansion when you get to heaven. That's what we're talking about here when he says that the fulfillment, he fulfilled every one of those feasts. We studied about those a couple of years ago during our Wednesday night Bible study. About all those feasts, every one of them were traced back to Christ because he's fulfilling every one of them. When these graves came out and opened, many bodies of the saints which were in slept and went into the holy city. They went into the holy city. That's not talking about Jerusalem. Now, if you're reading you know, a lot of the other versions, most of them will say they went into Jerusalem. No, they didn't. They didn't go to Jerusalem. They went into heaven. It says, and many worse there. We don't have another uh, indication in the Bible, no documentation anywhere in the Bible that anybody saw people walking dead to the streets of Jerusalem. There's no story of that at all. It's not talking about Jerusalem. That's talking about heaven. That's where they went to. Now, and then when he came up out, when he came out, you know, it says they didn't come out of the graves until after his resurrection. Well, when was his resurrection? The Passover occurred. He died on the cross. The unle feast of the unleavened bread. That was the Last Supper. And then the next Sabbath after that, that's chapter 28. At the end of the Sabbath, it's begun to dawn toward the first day of the week. The first day after the Sabbath was when these resurrections What's that day? That's the day that the priest makes the offering of first fruits. Christ, you go read Hebrews 7, 8, 9, you'll see that Christ is our high priest. He has become our priest. We still have priesthood, but he's the only one. We've got one priest now, and he's the perfect priest. He goes in one time and makes one offering for all of us, and that's the offering of the high priest of, uh, that he, he makes in our behalf. Now, who were these people? You know, we got people, many came out of the graves that day and went into the Holy City. Who were those people? You go with me to Revelations, and I'll close after this, but Revelations in chapter 7. It just references here real quick, and you can go through and read it. I won't go in detail. But John talking here, he saw a vision. He saw four angels standing on four corners of the, church, of the earth. And he gets down here in verse 3, and he said, He's telling these angels, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Don't destroy the earth until we've sealed all the saints, all the elect, in their forehead with the name of God. We're talking about symbolically here. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, 
and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. He goes through and describes 12 tribes of Israel. Each one of them had 12,000 people that were sealed that John is referring to. Okay, well, well, that didn't mean anything. What does that mean other than 144,000 from each place? Flip over now to John chapter, excuse me, Revelation chapter 14, where John tells us now, identifies the significance of those 144,000. And I looked, and lo, a lamb, that's Christ, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. <clears throat> and you got down to verse 3, and he heard him singing a song. He said, nobody could understand the song, but for the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. That's past tense. This 144,000 has already been redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women. They were unmarried. <coughs> These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. These 144,000 were the first fruits that came out of the grave that day. Christ went before directly to the mercy seat before God when he came out of that tomb. And he made a way, first wave offering. He was the representative of that first fruits, and with him he brought a handful, 144,000. That's only a handful. Kenny goes out here and he's got a 40-acre field of, of grain sorghum. He goes out and tastes one little, one little handful of that. Nobody's going to know it. Nobody's going to see it in comparison to the many that are going to be there, the hundreds and thousands, more than the sands with the seashore. All those little balls of grain are like sands with the seashore and the stars in the sky compared to how many are going to be in heaven. <clears throat> those 144,000 represent a handful, a sheath, of the things that, that of the people that are going to be in heaven. When that happened that day, Christ made a first fruit offering for you. He took a handful, 144,000, and he offered them to the Lord that day. And the Lord accepted them because John tells us they're in heaven. They have already been redeemed from the earth. The rest of us are waiting to be redeemed. What this tells us is Christ was your first fruits. Christ and these people coming out of the graves were first fruits. When he accepts the first fruit, and he's already accepted them by acknowledging the revelation, when he's accepted them, he blessed the entire crop. You have a reserved spot in heaven right now. Can't be taken away. The Lord has died for you. He's already fulfilled all the law for you. He's got a couple of steps to do with the rest of us when he has to blow the trumpet for the rest of us and bring us up there and transform our bodies. But he's already got the handful there. And when the Lord blessed that handful, he blessed you. He blessed you and he secured you a spot in heaven. He has preserved you a place in heaven that can't be taken away from you. It's there, it's sealed, as we say, it's locked and ready to go. That's what the first fruits means to you. And that's what that's representative there. That's where Christ, the proof in the Bible, that Christ fulfilled the law of the first fruits with that. He died for them and they, they came out of the grave with him after the resurrection, which by doing that act, the Lord blessed the entire crop of the elect. You wouldn't be here this morning. I don't know who's in the Lamb's Book of Life. You wouldn't be here doing this if you didn't show evidence, in my opinion, that you're already in the Lamb's Book of Life, your place in heaven is secure. And it's preserved and it's awaiting in you there. And when we get there, your body's going to be perfect. You're going to have a new mansion for a body. Like instead of a little lean-to shack that my shack keeps falling down on me all the time. <clears throat> but that's what he did with that first fruits. That, that day was he secured you a spot in heaven, fulfilling the law that was required of him. And he fulfilled every jot and every tittle. I appreciate your kind attention and my prayers. The Lord will richly bless you.